All right, everybody, we're in chapter 23, a very, very interesting chapter indeed. We're, we're uh, continuing with our theme of having the trail mix out, having a little bit of everything. I pray I never lose this feeling of knowing what it is to work hard all day and then come into church, you know, drag yourself in here. And so if you've been dragging yourself in here, I appreciate it. I know that um, the Lord will bless you through the reading of his word and pray that you're as encouraged as I am as we gather together. To me, this is the best part of the midweek, you know, just trying to get through. This is the pit stop to refresh you so you can continue to go out there into the world and be the salt and the light for the Lord. So let's go before the Lord in prayer and go into his word. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, for your refreshing for this water that cleanses us and teaches us, which is the word. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to write it on the tablets of our heart, that we would be fit for the master's use to go out into the world and to preach this gospel to all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, we're going to start off some real interesting ones. So let's start off with verses 1 through 6. He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. One of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. So a lot of little nuggets there to pick up on. I'm going to be very forthright. I am going to be stretching some spiritual analogies on some of these. And you can take them or leave it. They're pretty close to opinions. But, for example, verse 1, this is talking about a man whose uh, reproductive organs are no longer functioning. They've been crushed in an accident. He's not allowed to be in the temple. He's not allowed to be in the tabernacle. He's not allowed to be in the congregation when they're serving the Lord. That just seems mean, like What's going on here? Why would you do that? That's not, that's Lord. Why would you do that? Well, first and foremost, remember to come into the presence of God, you have to be perfect. You have to be sinless. You have to be righteous. And so when you fall short, your fault or not, you fall short. Remember that an offering can't be brought to God if it has any blemish whatsoever. Remember that a priest has to be only from the tribe of Levi, so no other person can be a priest. Remember that a priest can have no blemish on him if he wants to be a high priest, if he wants to go into the presence of God. He has to be perfect. He can't even have a wart, and he's excluded from the presence of God. You may be saying to yourself, well, that's just not very nice. Well, it's all pointing to Jesus, our healer, because he's the one that makes us whole. Now, I told you I was going to stretch. That one's an application. That one you can take to the bank. This one, you know, this is like the DVD section in the front, you know, at Walmart or the dollar store. And you're like, yeah, there's nothing good in there. I'm just going, okay, this is one of those. Because as I was reading this and I was writing my notes down, I was thinking, well, you know, 
you, you shouldn't really even be coming into the fellowship if you don't reproduce spiritually. You don't, have you ever shared the gospel with anyone? Has anyone ever heard the word of God from you? And if maybe you think you've been damaged, maybe you think that you can't, it's like, no, no. If you can, if you can mime, if you can draw, if you can mumble, if you can speak, then the Lord can use you to share the word of God. And the reminder there is later on with Balaam. Remember the donkey of Balaam stopped and said, why are you kicking me? Can't you see there's an angel in front of us? I'm saving your life, Balaam said in so many words. Well, if the Lord could use a donkey, he can use me, and he is, because remember in Corinthians, he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. For some of you gentlemen I was talking to, he also used the young foolish things to confound the wise. It's just the Lord, just the Lord. But remember, he can use you too. Second, we could say the same thing of a person with illegitimate birth. That, that kid didn't choose that life. He didn't choose his parents. That happened to him, and now you're telling him he can't, to the 10th generation, come in? Well, our spiritual application is the same. You, know, you have to have a godly heritage to enter into the presence of God. Remember, the Levite, you have to be of one tribe to serve God. If you're not of that tribe, you're born to another family? No. The answer is no. To our American minds, this is just like anathema. That's just a fancy word for like, we have anger even thinking about being withheld because of our birthright. Well, the same thing is true as New Testament believers, if you think about it. If you're not of the family of Jesus Christ, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what your birthright is. We need to be born again to enter into the kingdom. And so the same rules are applying. It's just the grace of Jesus Christ is showing us. So the law, remember, is perfect, but it leads man to Christ. It's a tutor that shows us no person can keep the law, on purpose or not. I will make a side note. Let's go back to our DVD bin. DVDs that young kids are like, what are those? And then, you know, those of us that have been here a little while, oh, yeah, I remember tapes. I remember, yeah, yeah, we can talk about that later. Don't, I don't want to lose you in the analogy. We have a blessing that has become a curse in this country, in our culture. The blessing is that every person should and mostly is judged for the contents of their character and their heart, like Martin Luther King Jr. said. It's not no longer as much about race or family heritage or an aristocracy. The majority, the majority, and I, I failed to write down the um, actual data of the one percenters and the multi-multi-millionaires in America are first-generation maids. That only happens in a country like ours. The curse is this, though. We care not at all that somebody had uh, a broken family to the point that we say it's not even necessary to have a complete family. I think we go too far on that. Every person needs to be treated with respect. Every person needs to be given opportunity. Every, the Bible tells us that God has a special heart for the widow and for the fatherless. He has a special heart for them, a special promise for them. But I think we go too far when we say, well, the family unit's not necessary. The father is not necessary. You know, we, we don't, it doesn't matter anymore. Yes, it does. It always will matter. It matters, and it matters to God. And uh, I come from a broken home. I grew up with a broken home. 
I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my mom. I'm proud of my dad, the reconciliation, the things that God has blessed us with. But I will tell you, my home was not complete when I grew up. But we were incredibly blessed by God, even though we weren't following him. So I think, and the Bible shows us, we can declare those things without condemning anyone. And I know that Jesus, when he would say, for example, speak to the woman at the well, he didn't blast her in, in that chapter in John, just telling her how bad her life was and how terrible. No, no, he was just available and just started asking some questions. And she, well, she asked him some questions, so he started asking some questions back, and she started answering them. And then she came to the understanding that he was the Messiah on her own. But that being said, Jesus never compromised with the truth in that interaction. Did you see that? He doesn't condemn her. With it, doesn't beat her over the head, but he doesn't back down and say, well, you know, it's okay, everything's okay. No, he doesn't say that. He's actually going to the cross to pay the punishment for her sins. He's going to die for her sins and what she's done. It's not okay, but he does love her like he all loves all humanity. He does care for her like he cares for all of us. So we have to remember those things as we continue through this. Now, dissecting one more, the Ammonite and the Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the 10th generation. So then it goes into the story reminding the people of Israel about the Ammonites and the Moabites. What makes this interesting, let's put ourselves in their sandals, is the Ammonites and the Moabites are like, hey, those people over there across on the other side of that hill, like that town, they can never come in the congregation for 10 generations. And those people over there on the other side of that hill, they can never come into the congregation. This is real to them. This is like they're literally pointing at those people over there saying they can't come in for 10 generations because of X, Y, and Z. And again, we can apply this uh, to, to the law of grace. We can apply this to Jesus, but let's start here. You made a mistake. You were told, Ammonites and Moabites, you were asked repeatedly, God's blessing us. He has a path for us. We just want to go through. We'll just leave us alone. You said no. You made a decision. And there are consequences for those decisions. Now, what about the age of grace, you know, with Jesus Christ? If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, His way, you are not saved. You're not going to be entering into the congregation. Well, I think that Jesus is like this, or I think that salvation is like that. And if you, you know, if you go to church a hundred times... And you give once in a while to some charities, you're okay. Or another one I've been hearing recently. It's like, well, you don't need to go to church to have a relationship with God. Well, no, but he tells you in his book not to forsake the gathering together, which is the custom of some. He pretty much tells you you need to be in church. So are you going to do what he says? Well, I, I just, I think. And they want to fill it in. And no, the same thing could be applied the Ammonites and the Moabites were made to give a decision. They made a decision that was contrary to what God wanted, and they reaped what they sowed. They had the punishment for the consequences, the punishment and consequences of their decision that was made. And we need to remember there are consequences for your decisions. There are no magic wands to take those things away. What do you mean, Mike? Well, in Galatians, the Bible says, God is not mocked. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. 
you're a terrible husband for 10 years and your wife leaves you, you can't just come in here and pray a prayer and then God's going to miraculously bring her back and now she's going to love you. Well, I had an interaction, I had an interaction with Christ. He spoke to me. He told me he was going to reconcile our marriage. Great, but you still are going to reap what you sow. You still have to work that out. And, uh, and the, pray the Lord gives you uh, a blessing there and works on your spouse's heart. Now, I'm just blaming the guys there for a minute, but you can apply that to anything. You can't be bad at business, be bad at business for 15 years, 5 years, 10 years, or even be good at it for 25 years, and then one night you decide to roll all the money on the roulette at Vegas and not have consequences for your actions. Well, God, forgive me. Well, you are forgiven, but there are consequences. When we're talking about accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Sometimes we're a little uh, too lax with it. We're like, well, are you going to come to church or not? And we have to just be reminded, just gently and lovingly, we're talking about if a person's going to go to heaven or if they're going to go to hell for all eternity. It's not a matter of what church they go to. There's consequences. And if you think 10 generations is a tough consequence, Remind yourself that those people that are in eternity will be in eternity 10 generations times 10 generations times 10 generations into infinity forever and ever, from everlasting to everlasting, the Bible says. Now, let's continue a little bit more. Let's change it up a little bit. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he's your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. The children of the third generation born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay, wait, 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 Lord. Okay, Lord. Those people, let me get this straight. Those people kept us in slavery for 400 years. We were in captivity. We were there for 200. We were in slavery for another 200. They wouldn't let us go. You're saying treat them, treat them okay. But the Moabites, those guys over there, 10 generations, no forgiveness. What, what is the deal here? What is the deal? Remember that, first of all, whenever we get into these discussions, the Lord is righteous and perfect. And so his decisions are perfect. He knows things that we don't know. In fact, he knows everything that we don't know, if you want to really meditate on it for a little bit. That being said, if we look at here, the Egyptians took care of them for 200 years also before things started souring. They took them in in the time of the, the famine, and remember, Joseph was raised up there, and Israel was saved through Egypt as much as it was cursed by Egypt. And so God remembers those things. God, God remembers those things. The Edomite came from the family of Israel. It came from the seed of Abraham. And God told Abraham he was going to bless their children. He was going to bless their children. So God doesn't forget these things. I'm so grateful for that because I'm an Edomite. I'm an Egyptian. I'm a Moabite. I am all these negative things. How can I say that? Because in the book of Romans, it said that God loved us when we were enemies with him, when we were contrary to him, when we were against him. I was voting against him. I was cursing his children. I was coming against him. I was denying him. I was telling everyone that as an atheist that what Karl Marx said was true, that religion is the opiate of the masses. He's mostly right. All the other religions are the opiate of the masses. There's only one true and living God and one true word. 
And when I was an enemy with God, he sent his only begotten son to save me and reconcile me and bring me into the family. And the same thing is true in each and every one of us. So it's, it's interesting to me as we read through the law, there's areas where like, oh, that's too harsh. And then there's other areas where like, that's not harsh enough. And then there's other areas where it's like, well, I thought that was harsh, but that, that's not so harsh anymore. And then you realize we don't really know what we're talking about. We just make objective decisions based on what little information we have. And a lot of times we're wrong. But God never fails. Now, let's talk about verses 9 through 14. And then we'll dissect them a little bit one by one. When the army goes out against your enemies, then keep yourselves from every wicked thing. If there is any man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp, but it shall be when evening comes, excuse me, that he shall wash with water, and when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. You all, also you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out. And you shall have an implement among your equipment. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig with it and turn and cover your refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore, your camp shall be holy, that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. I want to st uh, stop on verse 9 for a minute here. When the army goes out against the enemies, then keep yourselves from every wicked thing. If you travel a lot for work, you need to highlight this verse. If you travel a lot for work, or you're out there alone by yourself for, for work, that you know, you're out there fighting the world, you should say, building things, not destroying things, you need to be careful, especially when you're in another town, especially when nobody's watching. God's saying, hey, you think you're on the warpath? You think you can just do whatever you want? No. Keep yourself. Emphasis on keep yourself. Keep yourself from every wicked thing. What does the Bible tell us, New Testament saints? Make no provision for the flesh. What's the emphasis here? If you just, quote, let yourself go, or just win in Rome, do like the Romans do, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, all of that is a lie because we just talked about how you reap what you sow. And you can't trust yourself. Remember, Romans tells us that the flesh is warring with the spirit at any given time. And on Sundays, when we're in the Corinthians, we're talking about these urges that God has placed on us and what we're to do with them and to be wise with them. So don't be foolish into thinking, well, I'm just going to go and be strong. Like most every other week, I'm on a diet right now. You know what I don't do? Go to a bakery. Because if I go to a bakery, well, I'm just going to go in there and smell it. That'll help me get over my cravings for Italian wedding cake and donuts. No. No, because the second I smell that thing, the wallet comes out of the hand, straight into the baker's hands. He knows what he's doing. He, he, he has a fan by the kitchen blowing it outside. Just to bring me. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I constantly use that as an analogy because it's something easy that we can all grasp. But what am I talking about? For some people, it's methamphetamine. For some people, it's interactions with people outside of your 
your family. You're someone you're not married to or you're not married at all. For some people, it is food. For some people, it is gossip. For some people, it is fill in the blank. Keep yourself. Bible, no provision for the flesh. Understand that you're weak. You need a partner, get a partner. You need an accountability partner, get an accountability partner. You need to travel with someone else, travel with someone else. If you need to go to church every night when you're on the road, there are so many churches. How could that not be possible? Don't give me an excuse. And so we need to be very careful. And I wanted to stay on that for a little bit because it is so prevalent. And there are so many Christians that are hiding things from one thing that they did back in 1983, and it's haunting your walk. And if you literally did something in 1983, that's from the Lord because I had no idea. All right, well, next part. This is more fun for me. So verse 9, or excuse me, verse 10. It's talking about keeping camp. It's talking about going um, and moving for the 40 years in the desert. They're going to go across the Jordan. They're going to be in war. And they're saying that you can't do your business in the camp, whatever it is. So if you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and all the men are out there camping and they're out there in the field and they're fighting, you can't just do that in your tent or on the side of the tent or in front. Why? Well, there is this major thing that destroys armies, especially in medieval times and before, called dysentery. And that is where armies would drink the water in the same place that they bathed, in the same place that they cleaned up, in the same place that they did their business. And they would do that, and they would have no idea why everyone was getting sick and dying. Well, God knows everything. He knew medical science before medical science was even a thing. He kind of invented it. He kind of created the whole thing. And here they are, thousands of years ago, they'd only just studied their Bibles, Hey, don't go to the bathroom around the camp. And when you do go to the bathroom, don't leave it open. Bury it. Bury it so it doesn't get exposed. It's not in the atmosphere. Animals aren't eating it, and then they're eating it, and then they're moving around the place, and they're flying all over the camp, and stuff's getting spread. It's almost like deep sarcasm alert. Almost like God knows what he's talking about. Obviously, he does. So can we all agree that we shouldn't go to the bathroom in the living room of our homes, right? We can all agree with that. God tells us that's bad. We should flush that stuff away. We should clean ourselves. We should wash ourselves. We should get that out of the camp. All of us agree with that. So thousands of years before they understood why, and God said, hey, do it this way, we all agree, yes, that was really wise. You guys see where I'm going with this if you're smart. So what about the rest of the book? What about the other things that we don't get yet? Maybe we should just do that. Just do that. Now, I say these things, and some of you, maybe online, maybe here, you're still going to go on that work trip. You're still going to go to a bar because nobody's going to see you. You're still going to get yourself in trouble. You're still going to wake up in the morning reaping what you sow. You're still going to have that on your conscience for the rest of your life, even if nobody finds out forever. And Jesus will still forgive you. And it is still never going to go away. So do what he tells you to do. Deal? Okay, good. Because I don't want to do any ministry work about that. No counseling here. I'm going to tell you I told you so and slam the door. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. For real, don't do it. (laughs) 
verses 15 through 16. You shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He may dwell in your midst, in the place which he chooses within one of your gates, where it seems best to him, and you shall not oppress him. My temptation was to just skip past these verses because I don't really understand them. Why don't I really understand them? The commentators, many of the commentators, not all, say that this must be foreign slaves because God had already made orders for how to treat slaves or indentured service and how Jews were never to be kept for indentured servitude past a certain amount of time. There was always an opportunity for freedom. You could sell yourself, but then you were going to get let go in the year of Jubilee. You could take foreign slaves. But here, it doesn't give us much background. So the reason that the commentators say it must be foreign slaves is because if it was slaves of your neighbor, wouldn't that cause some real problems? And wouldn't that be some real business issues if a slave decided to leave? The issue that I have, not a Bible scholar, love the Bible study of my whole life, but I haven't really dug deep into this, this portion of Scripture, is it doesn't say that. It doesn't say foreign slave. It says any slave. So to me, I'm going to stretch here. And this is just by observation. It seems to me that if you're not treating your slaves well, if they don't want to be there and they're going to escape from you, then you done lost them. They're gone. And they're allowed to find protection somewhere else. Well, what if they run away from five different places and they get protection at each one? According to this verses, they could just keep on going until they're happy somewhere until they get tired of running. Not everybody likes running. Eventually, people like to settle. I don't know. I really don't know. So we're just going to let that sit there if you want to get some extra credit and you want to go into a 300-page commentary about these few verses and find this grammatical context and give me some archaeological evidence, then I might change my mind. Until then, we're just going to trust God with what is going on there. But I will say it is good to know that just like a slave could go to another house and be protected, we, slaves to sin, can run to Jesus and he will protect us. And he sets us free and he makes us new. Verses 17 through 20. There shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel or a perverted one of the sons of Israel. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God for any vowed offering, for both of those are an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest to your brother Interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. To a foreigner you may charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge interest. That the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. So two different things there. Number one, this was happening in all the other cultures around Israel at that time. But God is making it very clear through Moses, you will not have any religious prostitution, male or female. And he uses very harsh language. And he says, don't ever let this nasty money ever come into God's temple. Wow. This might be serious. This might be important. It says here in verse 18 that this is an abomination to the Lord. Abomination to the Lord. Don't do it. 
And so we need to be we need to take serious what God thinks is serious. You know, the over-sexualization of our culture of you know, I just heard a story the other day about an incident that happened at a church with a certain musician, and I'm just like, okay, maybe I hope that's kind of exaggerated a little bit. And maybe it was an accident, maybe it wasn't, but we are all beginning to see more and more incidents like that. And listen, when especially when young people come into the church, because this is incidents that have happened in the past, and they're wearing like practically nothing, or they have certain cut T-shirts, or then yes, we will say something. It's it's tough. It hurts um, people's feelings sometimes. It's never our intention. But if somebody is from a family here and they're coming and then they have something that we believe could be provocative to someone else, we will say something. And in this generation, people just don't like to hear any kind of discipline at all. And there's, there's more than one incident, and I've had them in Lompoc as well where that happens. I've had it happen with adults. You know, it's difficult. When is it grace? For a, maybe a new person that's coming in, they have no idea they're hearing the gospel for the first time. Well, I pray that corporately we have gospel, we have grace. If, if it's someone that's habitually coming, we need to be talking about it. Why am I making that stress from temple prostitution to just what the kids are wearing? Like, what, what am I trying to pull together here? Because that's pretty extreme. Yes, it's pretty extreme. What I'm getting at is that this is serious to God. Sexuality is serious to God. How men and women treat each other is serious to God. Uh, what we do with our bodies is serious to God. And as we know from Corinthians, he created man and woman for marriage to be dedicated to one another for life, forever. And that is where that's supposed to be. And it's unfortunate that when I take my eight-year-old daughter out, I am constantly on alert for who's looking, who's monitoring, who is even is interested like why do i have to think that way because of the world we live in because of the world we live in and so let that never ever ever be in the house of god it's an abomination to him even even the money collected from something like that all right so the second one is really interesting because god is telling the nation of israel lighten the mood a little bit can't charge interest you can't make any money lending out money to your brothers and sisters, to the nation of Israel. But I want you to notice there, he does want to keep those bankers employed. What does he say? You can lend out to the Gentiles, to the non-believers. Now, why this is important is this is one of the major reasons for anti-Semitism in Europe um, pre-World War II. Because the Jews corporately were known as being bankers where you would go nations would go to them living in germany and italy and in france and the nations the kings would ask for money for them and they would get loans with interest that they could make that they thought were good investments medieval wars were fought over these loans it is a fascinating study the issue is it became a negative um, connotation that they were always after money and only money and they're ripping us all off. They're just doing what God told them to do. They were just good with their money. Here's the funny part. If you save your money and you don't spend it all, you have money you can lend out with interest. You know, you can invest in a business. You can invest in a building. You can invest in the stock market, which is corporations, which is buying businesses. You can um, save up for a rainy day so when the rainy day happens, you don't actually have to go get a loan for money. You know, these biblical principles always going to work. 
forever. And so uh, it's fascinating. I may have said this verse once or twice before. There's nothing new under the sun. Once or twice. I told a friend of mine, you need to make t-shirts. So it's just the same things repeating over and over again. We need to be careful. We need to be careful as well. Don't be taken advantage of because you're having these high interests to pay these loans. Don't. That's a discussion when we get to Proverbs. We'll be in that for a, a while if the Lord tarries. And now verses 21 through 25. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be a sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be a sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So to another two different points. Number one, keep your word. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I've used this analogy or this uh, illustration before, but if you go down to Savannah, in the historical center, they have a cemetery. It's called the Dueling Cemetery. And there are many a body buried there because somebody's word was questioned. It used to be a serious offense in our culture to call someone a liar. If you called someone a liar or a coward, they were willing to die over that. These are the two most important things that a man had at that time. I think we need to bring some of that back, maybe without the killing part. But having your word means something. Here, specifically with this scripture, it's saying that if you make a vow to God, it's going to be a sin against him if you don't. Do it quickly. And he, then it even gives you a better warning. It says, hey, and if you don't make a vow, then it can never be held against you. Just don't swear to God. Don't promise God things. Don't dedicate things to God if you don't really mean it. Don't do it. Just not a good idea. Now, being a liar and a coward is like part of the prerequisites for employment in the government at this point, for our politicians, for lawyers, for all kinds of things. You have to have a 500-page contract to buy a television these days because of all the people trying to rip each other off. And then what do we hear? The old stories, and, and even your parents would say, we used to be able to buy a house with a handshake. We used to buy a car with a handshake. You said you bought it, you bought it. Now, you need 13 lawyers. You got, to Ill, you got to initial 37 pages. And then you could get other lawyers to get you out of that contract anyway, so I don't know why we're wasting our time. Well, it just goes to show you the rules don't matter. It's the people that follow the rules. That's what matters. It's what we do with them. I praise God that he gives us a new heart. Second one, we end with a little bit of compassion in this chapter. If you're traveling, you're traveling and, and your neighbor, he's got the grape yards, uh, the vineyards out there, all the grapes are out there. They've been working hard, paying lots of money. You can get, just eat some of the grapes. It's okay. Just don't you dare bring a basket. Don't you put it in your shirt and load up as much as you can and bring it to the house. You can eat as much as you can in that one stand and that's it. Also, if he's got the wheat standing there, 
Don't you go in with your sickle and take a bunch and make some bread. But you can pull the heads off and munch on a little bit if you're hungry just to get you by. You know, treat your neighbor with some respect, but go ahead. Well, I hope it all came to mind. You were thinking about Jesus going through those fields and pulling those grains, his disciples, and then the Pharisees coming. Wait, wait, wait. It's the, it is the Sabbath day. You can't do that. You're harvesting. You are making bread. You're grinding it between your hands. That is a sin. Jesus said, no. No, don't you remember when David took the bread offering to eat? And he was just keeping this commandment. No more, no less. Wasn't stealing, just obeying God's word. If you ever want to understand the law, if you get to any of these areas in Deuteronomy like I often do and just like scratch your head, I don't get this. I want you to close with this. Realize that if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. He said that I and the Father are one. And in John chapter 1, it says that He is the Word of God. He's the fulfillment of the Scriptures. And so if you want to understand the Old Testament, just study Jesus. You'll understand it in its meaning and in its spirit and in how it's supposed to be used. In the meantime, keep your word. Take control. Be wise. Make no provision for the flesh. Wash yourselves. My son in here? Make sure you've got good sanitation. Remember. Remember your brothers. Remember our enemies can quickly become our brothers and sisters with our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's pray. Father, we lift up the rest of this evening to you, and we pray that you would continue to speak to us as you have through your word, and that you would just impress upon our hearts those things that you would want us to pray for this evening. So we pray one one at a time, loud enough that we can all hear and agree together. We pray for those uh, prayers now that are going to be spoken openly or privately. And we thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.